Welcome back, everyone, to yet another episode of the Deer Gear Podcast, your go-to podcast for everything gear-related for deer hunting. On today's episode, I am joined by Chris Schnur of Rogue Bowstring. So I had some questions for Chris about how to maintain your bowstrings, how often you should be replacing your bowstrings. Should you be waxing your bowstrings? That's one question that is kind of, uh, there's some, there's a lot of information on there that goes both ways. So I wanted to hear from a string manufacturer. Should you be waxing those bowstrings? I have a ton more questions for Chris. It is a really good conversation. I learned a lot. I hope you guys do too. Before we get into this podcast, one quick announcement. The Exodus crew will be at the Iowa Deer Classic March 4th, 5th, and 6th. So if you're going to be at the Iowa Deer Classic, stop by the booth and say hello. Being that it is still trade show season, we are still offering 15% off of the Exodus Render or any Exodus Render bundle by using the code SHOWTIME at checkout. So that's SHOWTIME, one word, all caps, gets you 15% off of any Exodus render or any Exodus render bundle. So if you're looking to get a cell camera, now is a really good time to test out the Verizon 4G LTE Exodus render. If you have any questions about the cameras, make sure you are shooting me a DM on Instagram and I'll get any of the questions you have answered. But with all that being said, let's not delay this any further. Let's get into the podcast with Chris Schnur of Rogue Bowstrings. All right, everyone, I am live, and today I am joined by Chris Schnur from Rogue Bowstrings. Chris, for anyone that may not be familiar about you and or Rogue Bowstrings, the floor is yours to introduce yourself. Okay, well, uh, thanks, Cameron. I appreciate that. Uh, again, my name is Chris Schnur. I'm from Rogue Bowstrings. I am the operations manager over here. Uh, we are located in Dover, Ohio. Um, we like to believe that we've of course, like anybody, we build the best bowstrings out there. Uh, we focus primarily on uh, quality, customer service, integrity. Those are kind of the the staples of our business and and kind of the foundation of where we build our entire product and our entire company philosophy upon those principles. Sure. Yeah. So with that, what uh, I'm just going to jump right into this. What makes a good bowstring? Um, well, a lot of it is the process. Um Basically, everybody gets their material from the same sources. Uh, we all use BCY fibers. Um, BCY is uh, probably the, well, right now, the realistically, they're the only large uh, raw material manufacturer for us for bowstrings. Um, there are a couple other ones out there. Uh, but when it comes to quality and ability to get it to us, uh, BCY is unmatched. So they're kind of a staple in our industry. Um, as far as that goes, it's really what you what separates a lot of the string builders and what separates us from other string builders is the process and how we actually go about uh, building a bowstring from raw material to the finished material you're actually putting on your bow. Uh, a lot of that is our, our heat treating process where we actually eliminate most of the, if not all of the stretch from the material completely um, and eliminates your shoot-in time. So you can basically comfortably take a set of rogue bowstrings, put it on your bow, get sight marks, and go out and shoot a tournament, go out on, on a hunt, uh, and be very confident that your sight marks aren't going to change, your tune's not going to change, things of that nature. Sure. Yeah, that's uh, extremely beneficial. 
especially um, I'm not a target archer and I wouldn't imagine that most of my um, audience is either. I would say that most, most folks listening to this are deer hunters and I've had a few instances where I've had a string break in the middle of a hunt and I have to go back and get a new string installed. And like you said, you have that stretch with most bowstring yep. manufacturers and uh, you're, yeah, you have to recite everything in your uh, peep needs to be twisted and it just can be a pain in the neck. So that uh, is, an ob- that's an obvious advantage. Um, I did a little bit of research on the website, so I was, I'm not a rogue bowstring shooter myself yet, but that is, uh, as soon as I get my new bow in, I, uh, I am going to come up and get, get some strings, but there are three different offerings, correct? R17, R19, R21. Correct. Uh, so I'll start from the bottom and kind of go up from those if you want me to. Yeah. So our R17, uh, we used to have four offerings. Um, we've actually simplified that a little bit more for people now. Um, our R17 is kind of our entry-level string at this point. It's uh, BCY's X99 material. Uh, it, we use um, double and I power grip end loops, and we use 3D on the end serving. Um, it is still a pre-stretched string, um, so you're still getting great quality there. From pre-stretching, we're eliminating a majority of that uh, creep or that that stretch time uh, by pre-stretching them. And uh, then 3D serving is just a less expensive option to keep costs down. Now, from a shooting standpoint, some people might prefer the feel of that. That gets into it a little bit more. Um, But X99 is a very durable material, um, not quite as good, I would say, as the staple um, in 452X. uh, But it is still a very good material that most bow hunters will be more than happy with over their factory offerings that they have now. Um, our R19s were, for a long time, they were our premier product. Um, it's 452X, which uh, as far as the industry goes, you're not gonna find very many people of anybody that will say anything negative about 452X um, with the with the occasional guy that says it fuzzes too much. Um, it does have a characteristic of that where it does fuzz, but um, it is an extremely durable, no stretch, no creep material uh, that's going to be extremely durable for a bow hunter and as well as most target shooters. Now, where we really come in different, and this is kind of one of the arguments in the industry, um, is our R21. Um, our R21 is actually a proprietary material, which I get nervous saying that because we get a, a lot of companies get a lot of hate once you start talking about proprietary materials. Sure. Um, just because you can't get it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Uh, we did spend some time with BCY uh, taking the best of both worlds. So we wanted 452X um, stability and performance, but we wanted to use some of the higher quality materials that were available in the industry. Um, so not to get too technical, um, but it's an easy way to just kind of see it. So BCY's 452X is based on an SK75 Dyneema. Um, our material as well as X99 is based on a uh, SK99 material with Vectran as well. So both contain Vectran. Um, the difference between ours and 452X and X99 is a little bit of the ratios as to the formulation of that, as, as in how much Vectran do we use, how much of the SK99 do we use, as well as the twist rate. So there's a little there's there's a lot more that you can really get into about that that gets super technical on that side, but for the most part, 
um, what we get from that is you get all the speed characteristics that you would get from a lighter, thinner material uh, while maintaining the long-term durability of it. Um, and our R19s and our R21s, uh, like I said, those are our two premium products. Uh, both of those we use Halo end serving on all the strings as well as the 009 power grip on the end loops. And uh, in certain areas, we'll actually use power grip as well on some of the more aggressive cams out there like the the Bowtech, some of the new Hoyt bows, as well as some of the new Matthews bows as well. Sure. So what is the, other than the cost, what is the difference between the Halo servings and the 3D servings? So Halo serving is a braided material. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a stronger material, uh, more abrasive, resi abrasion resistant, um, whereas 3D is, uh, is a twisted material. So it's, it's a softer material. It is a little thicker. Oh, it only comes in 16,000 diameter, whereas Halo, you can get in any, almost any diameter you want. Um, but when it comes to performance wise, the 3D doesn't have the longevity that the, the Halo does. So if you're a guy that's shooting, hundred arrows a week, uh, that's considered a lot of use at hundred arrows a week. And, and some people will shoot more, some people will shoot less, of course. Um, but hundred arrows a week is a, is a, it's a lot of traffic through your bow. Uh, a bowstring made out of halo is probably going to last or serving out of halo is probably going to last you a lot longer than say something made out of 3d. Uh, okay. And of course, this is all dependent on the cam systems and the type of equip other type of equipment you're shooting alongside it. But for the most part, Halo is going to be a lot more durable than 3D would be. Okay. So you mentioned the serving diameter, and this is something that I just talked to George from Firenock about a little bit because he uh -huh. is, he's like a absolute genius and he's super technical about everything. So there's no um, perfect fit for one thing. There's like one application. There's no shoebox answer to anything. And one of the things that he talked about was knowing the diameter of your serving size and fitting that correctly to your knock. So um, are you able to speak on that a little bit more to put that in layman's terms for folks, what that serving, the diameter matters to you? Absolutely. So, yeah. So we were one of the first companies to actually really come out and and talk about this openly and really push this uh push this a lot in the market because of how important it is. Um, so from Carbon Express, Easton, Black Eagle, Gold Tip, all the different companies all use different knocks. Um, there isn't just one knock that fits every single arrow. So with that being said, the way they click onto the string is going to vary from a center serving of 106 to a center serving of 116. Um, these are all measurements because everything's measured in thousands when it comes down to center servings and things of that nature. Sure. But with um, <clears throat> knock fitment can make a huge difference when it comes to the tuning of your bow, the speed of your bow, um, whether your arrow is going to stay knocked the entire time you're practicing or the entire time you're waiting. I mean, it's got to be as bad as it sounds. The, the biggest nightmare in the world would be to draw your bow back on a giant deer and the next thing you know your arrow's on the ground and you're wondering how the heck that happens and you go to let down and next thing you know you bump your trigger and something happens and now your whole bow's blown up um but more importantly with everything fitting correctly like what one thing that that i always try to, to look at in, in the archery industry and when i'm setting up my own stuff is 
if I want my bow to be in perfect time, then my center serving and my knock fitment is, is basically the same thing. It's got to be looked at the exact same way. And I think it's a huge part that's actually overlooked uh, when it comes to um, when it comes to actually setting up a bow is how do the knocks actually fit? And with, with that being said, uh, part of one of the advantages to our ordering system is, is when you go to our website, you place an order, for example, there isn't a, a click on this box for your bow, click on this box for your color, click on this box for your cam system. It's, it's send us an email. Somebody from the office here will call you, discuss the whole order with you. We want to make sure that you might want to order an R17, but you're going to be better in an R19. Or you might want to be in an R19, but you see the advantages to the R21s. Or maybe all you really need is an R17, and there's really no value in you buying anything more than that because you're not going to get the use out of it. Um, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we're sending you the product that is that is going to be best suited for you. And that's why we kind of simplified our systems. But one of the huge advantages, especially with Knox fitment, is you can tell Justin or Keith uh, who work in our office, or if you get me or Lena, um, we can answer for you. Okay, I shoot a Easton G knock, for example. Okay, I know what the center serving diameter needs to be for a G knock. Or if you say, hey, I shoot a G knock, but I prefer a 116 center diameter because I want it to click really hard, we can do that for you. Um, that's all stuff that goes through our QC process, our QC double checks that it's noted on the work order. So it's stuff that's paid attention to throughout the entire build process. Yeah, I think that's something you cannot get with um, hot, like mass-produced arrows. You're gonna buy a set of or buy, strings. I'm sorry. You're gonna buy a set of strings, and they're gonna come the way they were made, and you're gonna get the standard um, diameter serving, and they're just gonna send it to you, and you're gonna take it for what it is. But there is Absolutely. a lot. Of, there's a lot of advantages with Aeroflight that your knock fitting that correctly is super critical to and not only that but we were also talking a little bit about the different hunting styles if you are a spot and stock hunter you're going to want your arrow your knock to fit a little bit more snug so it doesn't fall off while you're moving through the brush if you're a target yep. archer you're going to want that to fit a little bit less snug so when you release it comes off real smooth um mm -hmm. and there's a lot, I think it's one, like you said, it's super overlooked and it's one thing that a lot of hunters and I'm, I'm sure the target archers are a little bit more in tune with that than bow hunters are, but it's something that I asked everyone here in the office said, Hey, do you know what your uh, serving diameter is? And everyone said, no. And I was like, do you know why you should know what your serving diameter is? And everybody said no. So that was one of the one of the key points I wanted to make with talking to you, I was hoping you were able to give me an answer like that. Absolutely. And, and one thing that, that I, I try to do, and, I, and I've been guilty of this in the past, is um, when it comes to target archery and it comes to bow hunting, they're exactly the same thing. At the end of the day, if I'm, if I'm pulling back my bow to shoot it at a piece of paper, I'm pulling, back a, pulling my bow back to, to shoot it at an animal, I still want to treat that with the same seriousness that I treat everything. So I used to, I used to joke around and back. I used to work at an archery shop for years. And before that, when I worked there, I used to joke around. Like I spend all this time on my target rigs all year long. When it comes to hunting season, I just go grab bargain bin arrows 
and throw them together and throw my bow set up together real quick, sight in with broadheads and go hunting. And that was it. Um, I never really took my hunting setup uh, as seriously as I, as I think I should. Um, and then as years went on and I started thinking about it more and more, I started treating my hunting setup more seriously than I started treating my target setup because then I came with the, the, the realization of, wait a minute, if I miss on paper, nobody dies. But if I, if I miss on an animal, now I'm injuring an animal. Now I'm, I'm having a hard time recovering. I might not recover that animal. There's, there's so much more to it, ethically speaking, that I'm almost doing myself a disservice to not take my, my hunting setup as serious. And that's why, that's why I was excited when, uh, when, when you reached out to us and I kind of looked through your podcast and listened to a couple of the episodes that you and George have done. And it's exactly what everybody needs to hear. I think the more technical people can get with their setup of really understanding something as simple as knowing the thickness of your center serving is, is going to make you a better hunter. It's going to make you a more ethical hunter out there as you go. Yeah. I'm super excited about all the information that's been coming from this podcast. That's the goal with it is to help people have a better experience through educational content. Um, and it's stuff that quite frankly, like even you said, you guys are the only ones as a string manufacturer talking about any of that stuff. And it's, it's stuff that I've never heard as a hunter. It's information that's not out there and and it needs to be, it needs to be understood. Absolutely. So another question I have on the actual um, construction of the arrows, and this may be old information to some, but it's, it's new to me and it's new to some of the folks here in the office um, with the way when you shoot your arrow, the way that the arrow wants to rotate. Now, I think it was yep. kind of a myth that if you were a left-handed shooter, it would rotate to the left. And if you're a right-handed shooter, it rotate to the right. And I believe that's not the case, correct? Correct. Um, so this is a very argued topic in the archery world. Um, some people will prove it one way, other people will prove it another way. And the, the general rule of consensus is this. A, an arrow will naturally rotate the direction in which the, uh, based on the direction of the twist of the string. So for example, you have clockwise and you have counterclockwise twisted strings. Most all of the strings, probably I would say 70% of the strings that come out of here are twisted counterclockwise. Why is that? Because naturally that arrow coming off of a counterclockwise twisted string is going to want to spin to the right. So it's going to want to spin clockwise. Uh, With that being said, what are the advantages of that? Well, you've got a broadhead screwed into the end of your arrow that has threading that only goes one way. So am I naturally going to want to spin that arrow in a direction that's going to untwist that broadhead or loosen a field tip and a target or anything like that? No. And a majority of our customers and a majority of people out there are using factory fletched arrows. And factory fletched arrows are twisted or are fletched, sorry, with a right helical just for that reason, because that's the way that screws that parts bolt onto the arrow, whether it's a field tip or it's a broadhead. Um, Now, what are the advantages to going clockwise or sorry? Yeah, clockwise versus counterclockwise. Well, if, if you twist, uh, sorry, I, I talk it in left and right because that's how our machines are set up. Yeah. But uh, if it's twisted, if it's twisted clockwise, it will, sorry, let me, let me think. Your arrow this will is, spin counterclockwise. Is, yeah. Your arrow will spin counterclockwise. 
it'll spin with a le- it'll spin to the left. Sure. If it's twisted counterclockwise, it'll spin to the right. Sorry, I, I might have missed missed that up a little bit there. So, if your arrow is twisted counterclockwise and it's twisting to the right, your broadheads are going to stay tight. Your field tips are going to stay tight. If it's twisted to the left or clockwise, then your arrows are going to twist to the left coming out of the bow or turn to the left going out of the bow. Um, reason being is, is that's the direction that the center serving is hitting the knock and it's the way it's going to spin off the knock naturally. Um, I've seen instances where the exact opposite happens. A lot of that has to do with knock fitment at that point or something of that nature is, is influencing it or the way somebody tied a D loop on there could affect that as well. Um, I'm a big believer in knock sets. I don't like having my D loop touching directly on my knock. Um, I think that opens you up to knock pinch issues. Uh, so I like to have at least a double knock set on there. And then if my D loop ever breaks, I can change it out real quick. But um, that, that puts as minimal of influence on the arrow as possible and lets it naturally do what it wants to do. Yeah. I think, and that's a, that is, that information is really critical as well. Cause if you're, like you said, the factory fletchings on an arrow are usually with a like a one degree offset to the right. So they are going to work with your arrow turning to the right. If you don't know which way your arrow naturally wants to come off your bow, say it wants to come naturally off to the left, but your fletching is one degree offset to the right. They're going to work against each other. And before you get a full revolution, you're going to go back and forth. To where the until the yep. veins take over so you're going to lose a lot of energy in that process so that was another and with that and with that said it's uh this is where you're getting to a point where you're almost splitting hairs or like splitting performance hairs when it comes to this stuff um yes it does make a difference but is the average guy really going to notice a significant difference on a right helical or a left helical probably not um or a clockwise or counterclockwise twisted string probably not um it all comes down to like i said before when you're setting up your equipment are you doing what's necessary to make the most ethical decisions possible and these are little things that are going to make that one percent chance of you making this mistake not as bad i guess sure. is the best way of looking at it yeah that's that's fair um when i look at my setup i want everything to be as perfect as it can be because if you get one shot at a trophy buck or you get one shot at um making a x ring on on your target archery that could be the difference between one not filling your tag or two going home from first place to third place which could be a difference of two thousand ten thousand dollars so um yeah i want to have that set up as perfectly as possible um is there anything else on the physical string construction side that you want to talk about? Um, trying to think, uh, as far as string construction goes, it's all pretty similar. Um, like I said before, what really sets people apart is their process. Um, we take pride in our process because of how many quality checks, quality checks we have throughout that. Um, a lot of people will talk about, and this is, and I guess I'm kind of looking at the industry as a blanket here when it comes to string building. Uh, a lot of people talk about the advantages of uh, a single person building it all the way up to a, that same person serving it, packaging it, QCing it, and sending it out the door. Um, there seems to be a belief that that is a, that is a best case scenario. Um, 
I'll, I'll tell you from personal experience, I've been that guy that has built the string, twisted the string, served the string, packaged the string, shipped the string, all the way down to been the guy that's installing the string. And uh, I'll tell you, that's not the most ideal way for things to be done. Reason being is uh, we're all humans. We all make mistakes. Um, if I can have one person who's excellent at blanking uh, or, or laying out the initial bowstring for me, if I can have that person focusing on doing that all day and they're doing an awesome job at that, but I've got another person who's amazing at twisting and stretching and, and pre-treating the strings and getting them ready for the servers. If I've got another person who's awesome at that and can just focus on that, then that's their job. And then I, so on and so forth, my servers. And then at the end of the day, I have QC. So my quality control, uh, those are kind of my all-stars. Those are the people that I rely on the most to make sure that everybody else did their jobs perfectly so that the product we're shipping out is the best possible product. Um, we, we pride ourselves in, in a sub 1% warranty rate. So uh, for us, that's a huge deal. The fact that less than 1%, it, it's, it's even less than half a percent of our strings come back for warranty. Um, and we do have a pretty good warranty. Our, we have a, for our R19s and our R21s, we do have a one year uh, warranty against fuzzing, manufacturer defects, uh, anything of that nature. Um, peep rotation, we actually have a warranty against peep rotation. So if your peep moves and you have a rogue bowstring and you're within that warranty period, call us up. We are going to take care of that for you. Uh, we take pride in our product and we stand behind it. Um, our R17s, they have a six month warranty um, against everything that the R19s and the R21s as well have. So um, that's a big thing. How, how much does a company stand behind their product? And we stand behind ours for sure. And that's the, that's the most important thing to us is making sure we have that quality out there for you initially. Yeah, that's, that's awesome to hear. Um, I think that's something you're not going to get with a lot of string manufacturers. So um, definitely, definitely happy to hear that. So I want to ask what, what is the performance advantage to adding a aftermarket string to your bow? So the performance, so, so this is a common question. The performance enhancement um, can go either way. Um, we do tell people uh, on average, you will see a six to eight feet per second increase with, over the R21s over a factory string. Um, but mainly that's the, the, the big difference that you're going to see is the longevity of it. Um, I kind of I kind of equate it to I'm trying to think of the best way to to, to equate this. Um, if you've got a let's say you got a, a super cheap set of tires on your car, right? You're probably only going to get ten to fifteen to twenty thousand miles out of those tires. If you go out and buy yourself a brand new set of Nittos or Toyos or something like that, a really nice high end tire, you might get eighty ninety thousand miles out of those. That that's what you really get out of a out of a aftermarket bowstring. Because, because our only focus is on the bowstring, we, we're giving you basically a, a, a stock car engine to put on your bow to make it perform versus just sending you some cheap tires and saying, there you go, you're all set. Um, because our focus is primarily on the bowstring, our quality is going to be to that point where we, we're going to stand behind that. Whereas a factory bowstring, not to discount factory manufacturers or anything like that, but that's not their primary focus. 
their primary focus is on the cam systems, the limbs, the riser, the feel of the shot, all that stuff, and to get it out to the initial user. Um, they've got deadlines, of course, we have deadlines, things of that nature, but th there's a different thought process going into building that string for you versus building that string to put on a bow that's going to hang on a shelf for six months or hopefully a month or hopefully less than a month for the dealers. But th there's a different thought process put into that for the end user. Absolutely. And with that quality is going to change significantly. Absolutely. So um, outside of that, you said six to eight feet per second advantage. That's a, that's a, that's pretty significant when you, when you start splitting hairs. Um, so let's move into, and, go ahead. Yeah. Let me say this real quick. So when I say six to eight feet per second, the, the pushback we often get from that is, Hey, I bought a set of rogue bow strings. I put it on my bow. I didn't see the increase. Here's what you have to do in order to really see that increase. You're going to have to say, okay, what is my bow's current poundage at? What is my bow's current draw length? What's my, what are all my specs? So spec out your bow completely, know your axle to axle, know your brace height, know how much weight you have on the string in your peep in your, did you have speed knocks on your string previously or do you now? Things of that nature that are really going to make a huge difference in the speed. So for example, I had a I had a customer that I was talking to while I was out in Vegas who said that they didn't see the speed increases. And I said, okay, tell me about your bow. And so we went through the bow, the poundage, the draw length. Next thing you know, he goes, well, I did lose like two pounds on my bow, but I found that everything was in perfect spec and my draw length hit perfectly. And I'm like, okay, was your draw length too long before? He goes, well, yeah, my draw length was about a quarter inch longer with my old string than it was on the new string. And I said, how old was the old string? And he goes, Oh, it was about five years old. Oh. I'm like, well, there's your difference. Like you have a half inch on that. I said, compare the apples to apples and, and you'll see the difference. So once we sat down, we're like, okay, knock a half inch off drawing. Everything else was the same. Okay. What do we got? Poundage would be about here. Yeah. There's your six to eight feet per second. You thought you would get, but he, he, he walked away from that conversation, understanding where I was coming from, but apples to apples if everything's perfectly in spec now to, is it perfectly in spec after you will see a difference I, i'll almost guarantee it great let's move into a little bit of string maintenance um this is something that i do a terrible job at i don't do any string maintenance and i need to learn the proper way to care for my strings i think there's um there's a lot of information out there, but I think there's a lot of bad information. So I want to hear it straight from straight from the guys. What's the best way to care for a bowstring? So the industry is probably going to hate me for this because I'm going to let out the biggest secret, in my opinion, in the archery industry, especially when it comes to bowstring. Uh, the worst thing you can do for, I'll say this again, the worst thing you can do for your bowstring is wax it. And that's a very unpopular opinion, and I will probably get some backlash for that, but I'm ready for it, um, and I'll stand by that. Uh, reason being is is most waxes, whether they're natural or synthetic wax, um, they're very sticky, and they're very oily, and you get this weird caking effect that I see on a lot of bowstrings, especially ones that I, when I'm swapping them out here at the shop or I'm I'm working with customers' bows. I would always see there was just a tremendous amount of wax. What nobody ever talks about is removing the wax from the bowstring. So 
and I'll jump back into our process a little bit and then explain this into the as to why I say that. So in our process, we have a, a part of our process that's, that's heat treating. And basically what that's doing is, is it's, while we're stretching the string, we're applying a predetermined amount of heat to that string. Um, and what that's doing is it's basically melting the wax in between the fibers. So I know nobody can see this, but imagine you're taking your fingers and you're kind of meshing them together. Do them really loosely and you can kind of feel all that slack in between them. Well, that's what an initial string bundle feels like. Now, what we do is when we actually pre-stretch it and heat it is we're actually squeezing and, and melting that wax out from in between the strands. So what your bundle is looking like, your finished bundle, is just raw string material bundled together. That's why you'll see a lot of our bowstrings look a little bit shinier than others or they look a little, uh, a little more polished on the outside. It's not because we're applying anything to them to make them look like that. It's because of our process that we do and the tools that we use to actually get that finish and get that bundle nice and tight and give you that consistency long-term. Now, when it comes to wax, at the end of our build process, we actually have a uh, material that we started using uh, last year. Um, we were using another one before and I won't get into that, but we have a new material that we're using uh, that we actually apply to the outer uh, the outer string. Uh, we don't put, it doesn't get on the serving. A little bit of it does, but it's not important for it to get on the serving. Uh, but the raw material itself, the actual colored material, not the serving, um, that part there, we actually apply a, a, a polymeric bowstring fluid. So it's an actual liquid that we apply to it and it dries. And um, basically what it does is it protects and basically waterproofs the outside of the string. <laughs> A lot of where wax came in was when people were using natural fibers, the wax kept the fuzz down and things of that nature that people would see. And it's more of an aesthetic thing. So if your bowstring is super fuzzy and you can't stand it anymore, the answer is not to put wax on it. The answer is to replace it. It's time to replace it. Um, but if you are noticing a little bit of fuzz on your string, uh, mainly like if it, if you got a mustache and it catches your mustache or your beard in a certain place, uh, or if it's touching your nose and it's coming off your nose a little funny and you're seeing marks, then take a little bit of wax, put it on your fingertips and kind of rub it in the string. Um, taking your string with wax is the worst thing you can do, especially if you're getting it on the, um, in the cam grooves, uh, that that's even worse. Um, but you're basically, you're just, you're robbing performance of your string at that point. Uh, you're, you're it, they're going to pick up dirt. It's going to pick up dust and debris. You're going to, I mean, heck, I've, I've seen guys pull bows out of their case that have leaves stuck to their string because <laughs> they've got so much wax on it. So it's like, if, if this, if this can stick to it, imagine all the other stuff that you can stick to it. And uh, I mean, that, that, that's really what sets it apart. You just, you don't want to wax your string. Um, we're going to be coming out probably in the next couple months with something is, is, is hopefully the plan of what we recommend. But uh, in the meantime, uh, my favorite brand when it comes to this stuff, and I hope I'm not stepping on anyone's feet here by mentioning this, is, is Scorpion Venom. They probably make some of the best stuff out there when it comes to, to string care stuff. Um, and one thing that they have that's awesome is they have their polymeric bowstring fluid, and they also have a... Uh, an actual cleaner, a string cleaner. And a lot of people don't clean their string. Um, so one easy way to do that is you could take this little applicator that they have, put it all over your string, take a little cloth and wipe your string down. If, if that's, that's pretty much all anybody needs to do. And if you ever really want to, I guess, 
clean up your string if your string's looking a little fuzzy is just spot wax it with your fingers or even just the oil off your nose is sometimes enough to knock it down. Yeah, it's it's very strange. Typically when you get to the point where your string looks like it needs severe amount of maintenance, it's probably time to replace your string <laughs> versus put band-aids on it or stuff or things of that nature. Um I I've got stories I could tell you for days of things I've seen people bring into shops and stuff to keep a bow string together and you're like you have no idea how much this bow is about to let go, but it happens. So yeah, I've literally seen people bring in a bowstring with electrical tape wrapped around it because <laughs> they had six broken strands and they thought that that was going to be sufficiently safe to take themselves bow hunting. Oh, and I, I'm sitting there shaking my head going, I can't believe you survived this, but I guess it worked, but I'd oh, never yeah. recommend it to anybody. Yeah. Thank God they made it in time to, to get with you. <laughs> oh Yeah. I'm so glad I asked that question because that was actually, so I must've came across good information because um, that's kind of the route I took was I did not wax it. And then I had um, my dad's like an old school guy and he's like always waxing his bowstring. And I had someone tell me that one time, like, think about it. Like you put the wax on the string, that stuff's sticky, like you said, and then it's attracting all that dirt and debris and it's getting inside your string yep. and that's causing it to fray even quicker um and then i also watched one guy and this made a lot of sense to me too because i also snowboard and the first time i ever waxed my snowboard this is a, this is a funny story the first time i ever waxed my snowboard i took a bunch of wax and i rubbed it on the board and i said all right let's go snowboarding i never took the wax off i got to the hill i couldn't go down the hill because yep. it was like it was not a surface that i could slide it was causing all that friction and i, I could not go down the hill and then I researched how to wax a snowboard and you put the wax on and you heat it and then you take it off. And I saw one guy that would, uh, when I was researching string maintenance, he would put some wax on the string and then he would take a piece of floss, cross it across the string and in one direction, go down with it. And that would remove the excess wax. Um, but I have still taken the approach to not put any wax on my strings to avoid the uh, possibilities of attracting and getting that dirt and debris inside my bowstring so i'm glad i asked that question because it seems like i i kind of took the right approach yeah that's de that's definitely in my opinion that's definitely the best answer is to just keep keep all the keep all the bowstring wax and all that other stuff off your bowstring if you're going to like i i still think the polymeric stuff is probably the best uh, if you do want to do want to do any kind of preventative maintenance on your string, um, that's probably the best stuff just to have in your quiver or have around uh, for that reason. Just because sometimes it's a mental thing. I mean, if you got a little bit of fuzz on your bowstring, and if you're the kind of guy that that really gets under your skin, then you're going to want to do something about it. I'd use that stuff in, in that case. Yeah, I could see that. That could be a little confidence deal. If you if you're scared that maybe your your string's about to give out because it looks a little fuzzy, then yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. So um, yeah. longevity. Well, how often do you um, how often do you say people should replace their bowstrings? So a lot of it depends on use, and that's the hardest thing in this sport to really put a date or a shot number or anything like that on a bowstring. Um, my best way of saying is if you think it's time to replace your bowstring, it's time to replace your bowstring. Uh, that, that's, the, that's the best way to do it. 
Um, on the other sense, if you're in a, a, an archery shop or your local archery shop and your shop tech tells you, hey, you should really think about changing your bowstring, that's their nice way of telling you, hey, idiot, it's time to change your bowstring. <laughs> um, I've been in those shoes where I'm trying to like walk on eggshells because maybe you know the guy and you know he doesn't have a ton of money or he doesn't maybe his this is a, a real hobby thing for him. But at the end of the day, when when you look at when you look at your bowstring, think of it this way. If you can change your oil in your car every three to five thousand miles and you're paying thirty, forty, fifty, sometimes even a hundred bucks for that, why wouldn't you change your bowstring every year and a half, two years? That would just, to me, that would just make sense. And the more important thing comes to is, is when should I replace my bowstring? I can tell you when absolutely not to replace your bowstring. And that is around the, around say, I don't know where, oh, you're in Ohio too. So you're in the same boat that I'm in. Um, you don't want to change your bowstring two weeks before season starts. Um, that, that is, that is a trend that just exists in this world. Um, I don't think we will ever see it go away. Um, but if it's time for you to replace your bowstring or you're looking at your bowstring at the end of season, uh, the end of your hunting season or the end of your target season, take it into your tech and say, Hey, how's my string look? What do you think? Should I order one now? So I'm ready for hunting season. Should I put it away? Do you think I'll get one more year out of it? What do you think I should do? And one of the great things about our dealer network is they all, they're all extreme. They all believe the same things we do. It's not all about getting a sale. Um, at the end of the day, I want you to be safe and I want your equipment to be the best. So if it's time for you to replace your bowstring, I'm going to tell you it's time to replace your bowstring. If you can get another year or two out of your bowstring and it's fine the way it is, shoot it the way it is and keep an eye on it or things of that nature. Um, we, we had that conversation with dealers all, all year this year that they said they had guys coming in wanting new bowstrings. We'd get them new bowstrings. They'd save their old ones. Why are you saving your old ones? Your old ones were trash. Um, that that that's really what it all comes down to. Is it, you'll know when it's time, or your archery tech will tell you it's time. Right. Um, keep an eye on key things like your your cables get more wear than the string does. As odd as that sounds, they're mm -hmm. under more stress than your string is. Your string has. I mean, anytime you're at full draw. 80% of the weight most of the time is off the string. So it's just relaxed. The only thing it, it really goes through is an abrasive shot forward, but it's typically in the softest parts of the cams. Whereas if you look at the cables, you look at sharp bends that they're taking around, or they've got small holes or small little areas that the, the actual cables attach to, or the pegs are small. So any, anytime you have a bend or you have a, a, a hard curve in a cam, that's an area where you could potentially see separation, uh, where you could see serving starting to break, things of that nature that don't stick out to you like a sore thumb. So taking, instead of waxing your bowstring at the end of shooting it at the end of the day, take a look at your cams and say, what do my strings look like? How do my cable ends look like? What does my servings look like? Are they all in good condition? Are they tight? That's really where it makes the huge difference in that, in that standpoint. Yeah, that's all really great advice. Um... I think, I think every question that I had, I'm, I think you answered it. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Is there anything else that you like can't leave this conversation without mentioning? Um, not that I could think of off the top of my head. Um, I, again, I mean, you can check us out. Our, our website's pretty simple. Of course, I'll give ourselves a little plug here. Yeah. Um, Rogue Wheel Strings. Again, we're in Dover, Ohio. 
Uh, our website is roguebowstrings.com. Uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook, all that. We like to share a lot of our lifestyle stuff that, that we're doing, as well as the target shooting, the hunting. Of course, hunting is probably the biggest passion of everybody here. Um, a lot of us target shoot as well. And Justin Martin works in our office. You'll see him all over 3D courses all over the summertime. And he'll be at spot shoots with me over the over the winter and things of that nature. But uh, the cool thing about Rogue is we're all archers. We all use our equipment. Um, we all spend time actually researching and trying to develop the best product for you. So um, if you ever have questions, you want to talk about anything, feel free to give us a call here. Um, more than happy to answer any questions about our products or anything else we can help out with in, in archery. Um, poor Justin's had conversations for an hour and a half on the phone about stabilizers, something we literally do nothing in. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but a customer respected the fact that he took the time to discuss bowstrings with them and figured, Hey, if you know anything about this, you're such a nice guy, you're going to help me out with this. Why not ask you this question? And Justin's the same way I am. We'd love to talk archery. So any opportunity we have to sit down with someone and talk about it, answer questions or help someone along their journey, uh, we're more than willing to do it the entire time. So awesome. Yeah, that's great. That's great stuff. There you have it, folks. Um, Chris Schnur from Rogue Bowstrings building the world's best bowstring. So if you guys are in need of some aftermarket bowstrings or you're just looking for a little bit of performance or you're looking to support a um, company that has your best interest in mind, check them out.